Hello and welcome to UCD ScholarCast. My name is Malcolm Sen and I am the series editor of Irish Studies and the Environmental Humanities. The following lecture, entitled The Salmon Leap, will be given by Eamon Ryan, leader of the Irish Green Party. Salmon Leap. Can we make that leap as humanity? Can we make that collective jump upriver to a safe space? I think that's the sort of image we need in our minds about what we need to do. We need to feed 9 billion people we know by the middle of this century. We need to provide shelter and meaningful living for them. And we have to do that in a single planet where we know resources are limited. So I see it as an evolutionary leap that we need to make to be able to do that in a peaceful, coordinated way. It's not working at the present time, in my mind. When you look at our organisational, political, social and other organisation, it doesn't look like we're going to be able to manage that, so we need to change. It's interesting if you look at one of those environmental issues, one of the things we have to leap over, which is the challenge of climate change, there's a clear sense that we don't have the political commitment, we don't have the public commitment for the sort of jump that we need to make. Myself and a large number of people came together in the Byrne College of Art in Ballyvaughan, County Clare last year to try and work out what new narratives we could use to help us make that jump, make that leap. There are people from all over the world, a lot of people working in climate change at a fairly high level, but also just ordinary people from the arts, from the business world, who had an interest in the subject who are willing to give their time to try and answer the question, how do we communicate this issue in a new way? It was interesting, one of the things I suppose we agreed on more than anything else is that we're not getting it right at the present time. If you bring up the issue of climate change at an average dinner party, be it in Boston or Dublin or Bangalore, it's the same reaction you're going to get. He's making us feel guilty again. He's starting to talk about this huge, big crisis, this huge, big problem. And the only solutions he can seem to come up with are that we have to turn off our lights a bit sooner or we have to buy a different car. The scale of the problem, the scale of the solutions don't seem to match. We worked at this for four days and the number of maxims we came up with. I think we came up with them in an interesting way in that we tried to create a safe space where everyone's opinion was valued. We used the concept of the fifth province, that knowledge or that sense in Ireland, that as well as the four provinces of Leinster, Munster, Ulster, Connacht, there is a fifth province centred around Ishnach historically, where you came to meet to settle your differences where actually everyone was treated as an equal and where people were free to come with whatever different viewpoint they had and it was treated in a respectful way. In that safe space, we were asking, I suppose, getting back to fairly simple analysis and questions as to how we communicate about climate change. One of the first sense we had is that we have to stop preaching to people. We have to start by listening listening particularly to people in the farming and other communities that are actually out in weather all the time and have maps, perhaps in their own way, a better sense of what's happening. We ask them for their help rather than telling them what to do. The language I've worked on in the recent years in trying to address this climate issue, I've simplified it down to four everyday ways in which we need to react in a different way. And if you look at where our missions come from globally, but also coming down to the nation or indeed to the individual, they relate to four aspects of our lives. How we eat, 
what we create in waste, what sort of transport systems we use, and how we use energy. So for me, the language we need to develop is inspiring people that we can eat better, travel lighter, waste less, and be energy clever. Turn it into everyday human language that people can understand is where I have to start winning people over. And it can't be a moral choice that we're presenting to people every day. You're not going to wake up in the morning and say, hold on a sec, are these cornflakes really low carbon cornflakes? I think the job of the political system is to make it easier for people to do those four things, travel lighter, eat better, waste less and be energy clever in a way where it's not self-conscious, where it's the easier and better thing, thing to do. If we're to stop people going in this unsustainable direction, if we're to avoid the really dangerous climate change that the scientists say we're heading towards, then we have to offer them an alternative. You can't stop people going from A to B without offering them an alternative C. And it's that better economy, that better way of providing food and products and energy and transport to our people is what the political system has to now provide. I was very inspired by the writer Jeremy Rifkin and his analysis, contained in the book Empathetic Civilization, among others, that actually what we can do is use the digital revolution that is happening to inspire an energy revolution, which is combined with the social revolution at the same time. If we're to make this leap, if we're to use the resources of the planet in a really clever way, then I think one of the things that gives us great opportunity to do that is the power that Moore's Law is providing in doubling of processing power of computers every two years or so. If you listen to the best people work in the area, there's no sense that that power is about to switch off, that Moore's Law is about to decline. And if we can use that, that ability to manage information and in the process manage resources in a really clever way, that's the opportunity. That, I think, is the leap that we have to make, putting that digital revolution to use in turning an energy and transport and waste and food revolution at the same time. There was a young man I met at a conference in Oxford a year ago who kind of gave me some sense of hope that that is possible. James Bradfield Moody was employed by the Australian government to look into the future in terms of where that country needs to go. And his book, Sixth Wave, picked up on what Rifkin had been saying. It looked at the various five previous waves of investment that had occurred over the last previous 150 years, 200 years of the Industrial Revolution, starting with that investment in steam, and then automotives, air travel, chemical systems, the internet as a fifth wave. He sees the sixth wave as one which is coming an inevitable economic force, where in the same way that the internet turned processing waste into opportunities, we will now turn physical waste or waste of materials, waste of resources into opportunities in this new clean e-economy. There are various rules or various ways in which he thinks that that might take place. But by and large, it's the manufacturing and industrial and processing systems starting to take their cue from nature in terms of how they're designed. And I think it's, it's a world in which not only does it provide you a better environmental outcome, but also a more stable social and a more just economic system at the same time. One of the things that we came to a conclusion in the burn was that we have to admit uncertainty. We don't know everything. We don't know everything in terms of how exactly the climate change is going to hit. And we don't know exactly which of the technological solutions are going to develop first. 
in admitting uncertainty, it firstly changes the public attitude. If we come across as dogmatic and kind of saying we know the full truth, A, you're going to be caught out, something will happen or some sort of system will show that actually you didn't have the full truth. But B, it creates the wrong tone. One of the things we need to do if we are admitting uncertainty in this whole process in how the transition is going to happen, how the leap needs to be made, is that you look to the artistic community because that community more than any other has a sense of how you deal with uncertainty. If you're working on a painting, it changes as the process goes on. If you're working in music, you listen to other musicians playing with you and you improvise. And that ability to improvise, that ability to alter work in process is something that we can learn from in the creative and artistic communities and apply in the transition that we now need to make. Of the writers that I think have kind of inspired me in terms of how this transition might happen, one of the ones that I think is most important is Roger Scruton, an English green philosopher. I differ with them in a lot of aspects in terms of the understanding of, of what sort of transition it might be, what different power supplies or other mechanisms you might need. But one thing he speaks of that I think rings home true is his message that we need to start speaking about our homes and bring the message home rather than always speaking in big planetary or scientific terms. What he argues, that each of us have an innate sense of love for the home that we were brought up in and an innate desire to try and replicate that for children if we have them, our nephews, our nieces, is that kind of love of home and the desire to replace it or to, to replicate it for the next generation is something that's permanent and is in each and every one of us. And using that as a motive to inspire people for the change we need to make, I think makes sense. I don't think it belongs to the left or the right. It might be seen in some ways as conservative. One of the other writers that, for me, inspired a sense of understanding as to what this leap might be was the Irish philosopher John Moriarty, who came from UCD, went to Canada and then returned to the west of Ireland. And I think returned with a sense of understanding of the natural world that is important and special in terms of the nature of the change we need to make. He, more than anyone else, saw that we needed to harrow the basic myths that we're living by, not only the Irish myths, which tend to be always focused on the Ku Colin fighting myths rather than some of the other more peaceful, connected myths that are there beneath the surface, but also to go right down deep into the basic European myths that we live by. And I suppose what he in the end is talking about in his book Nostos, in the personal journey he took and that each of us can take, is that actually returning to that sense of ourselves and returning to a sense of this planet as our home is what the first thing we need to do if we're to make the transition that we need to make. That, more than all the analysis of what technical solutions are going to be needed, are the endless economic debates about discount rates and about all sorts of other technical aspects of the change are what is needed. If we don't start with the kind of grounding in ourselves and in our own homes, of why we're making this change and why it is a better change for all of us, then no amount of technical or technological analysis is going to help us get there. I call it a salmon leap, I suppose because deep in any Irish person's sense of mythology is that sense of the salmon of wisdom, the sense that this creature embodies something from nature that if we connect with, it gives us true insight. But it's also a salmon leap because the challenge is real. 
that jump up against the water, that jump to a height that we couldn't possibly think that we would make, is the right metaphor for the sort of change we need to make. I'm not certain we can make it. I met Dennis Meadows, the great writer of The Limits to Growth, a number of years ago, and he inspired me that actually the analysis they'd done 40 years ago, that systems analysis is still fundamentally true. We live with a very difficult task ahead of us, where the constraints of matching development and prosperity and population is not going to be an easy one. But I'm inspired by the writers I've mentioned and others, and by friends and colleagues who are working on this issue, that actually we can make that jump, we can make that leap, and we can do it in Ireland in a way that maybe is an example that could be used elsewhere. It is in the humanities, it is with our philosophers, it is through our creative artists who show us how we adapt and change as we're on that path, who we need to listen to and who need to lead us to that salmon leap, to a safer pool. You have been listening to Eamon Ryan in this UCD Scholar cast as part of the series Irish Studies and the Environmental Humanities. A transcript of this lecture can be downloaded at ucd.ie forward slash scholarcast. Music